Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. While the name Percy Trueblood may not mean very much to the younger generation, it's a very recognizable name to the elder generation. He passed away in 1988, but we're happy to keep his voice and memory alive through this, the Convention Pulpit Podcast. This sermon was preached back in the late 70s at God's Bible School and College Annual Camp Meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's titled, Resume of the Old Testament. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, God said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham, if you remember, was 75 years of age when he left the land of the Chaldeas with his wife Sarah and nephew Lot and entered into the land of promise where he lived for 100 years. Uh, Abraham was... uh, 86 when his first son Ishmael was born with the Egyptian handmaid Hagar. Abraham was 100 and his second son Isaac was born by Sarah. Uh, 37 years afterwards Sarah died at the age of 107 and 20. She is the only woman in the Bible whose age, death, and burial are recorded. She was the mother of the Hebrews. About three years later, Abraham married another woman by the name of Keturah, by whom he became the father of six other sons, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midianishbak, and Shua. After the birth of these boys, Abraham died at the age of 103 score and 15 years and was buried beside his first wife in Hebron. When Isaac was 40, we read he married a Syrian damsel by the name of Rebekah. Rebekah was barren for 20 years. When Isaac was 60, he became the father of two sons, Esau and Jacob. The twins were 77 years of age when their father prayed for them and forecast that posterity. 
It was at this time that Jacob left home through fear of his brother Esau and went to the land of Mesopotamia, to the city of Haran, to the home of his uncle Laman, his mother's brother, and lived there for 20 years. He married when he was 84. If you're not married, don't get discouraged. <laughs> still may be hope for you. We read that uh, Jacob, uh, during the, his stay in Haran, became the father of 12 children, 11 sons and one daughter, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asa, Issa, Zebulun, Joseph, and Dinah. Benjamin was born afterward in the land of Canaan. When Jacob was in 97, we read, he took his two wives and the two handmaids and the 12 children and journeyed back to Canaan, where he lived for 33 years. Uh, 23 years before the death of his father Isaac and 10 years afterward, Isaac died at the age of 180. When Jacob was 130, we read, he moved down to Egypt to be with his son Joseph, lived in Goshen 17 years and died at the age of 147. His body was embalmed and then taken by his sons and placed in the cave of the field of Machpelah in the land of Canaan. Jacob was 91 when Joseph was born. Joseph was born in Haran, if you recall, and lived there six years. Then he went with his parents to Canaan, lived there 11 years. When he was 17, he was sold by his half-brothers to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. These Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, one of the officers of Pharaoh, the king. Joseph became subject to Potiphar for 13 years, part of the time he was overseer a part of his house, part of the time he was in jail. But the Lord was with him. It's good to have him with us. When he saw that he could, uh, that he could, uh, could continue no longer, we read that he, he, he interpreted the king's uh, <coughs> dreams and he was promoted to the office of prime minister. And that land he ruled to some extent for 80 years. He died at the age of 110 and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The last words of the book of Genesis. 64 years later, are you keeping up? 64 years later, there was a baby born in Goshen by the name of Moses, the son of Amram and Jochebed, two Levites. The child was hid for three months because his parents saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's command. They feared nothing but God. But when they saw they could hide him no longer, they made an ark of bulrushes and placed the babe therein and pushed it out on the river Nile that runs through Egypt, trusting God to care for the child. About this time, the Egyptian princess, Bithia, came down to bathe herself in the waters of the Nile. And 
she saw the ark and she sent for it. And behold, the baby wept. Exodus 2, 6. Billy Sunday used to say an angel came down and pinched it. I too think God had a hand in the weeping of the baby for those tears touched the heart of the princess. And she sent Miriam, the little sister of Moses that was standing near, to go get one of the Hebrew women. And Jochebed was brought, took her own child, nursed it, and was paid for it. Wasn't that wonderful? And then the child was adopted by the king's daughter and read for 30-some years among the sages and philosophers of Pharaoh. But when Moses was 40, he killed an Egyptian and had to flee for his life, for the king sought him. He went to Arabia, we read. He spent 40 years there. He came in contact with Jethro, the priest prince of Midian, and fell in love with Zipporah, one of the priest's daughters whom he married, and became the father of two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. When Moses was 80, I hope I'm not going too fast for you Bible students especially, when Moses was 80, the excarnate Christ appeared to him in the burning bush and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. I'm the God of thy forefathers. I want you to go back to the land of Egypt and emancipate my people. Bring them from the house of bondage. I have come down and have seen their afflictions. Moses answered and said, I'm not a man of words. I can't talk. The Lord said, I'll be a mouthpiece to thee. But like so many people today, when God commissions them to do something, he continued with his excuses. But after a little hesitancy, he decided he'd go talk with his wife about it. You know some preachers can't do anything till they first learn how the wise feel about it. Well, he went and talked with his wife about it, and Moses and the wife and the two sons departed for Egypt. They met Aaron in the wilderness. The two brothers hadn't seen each other for 40 years. What a meeting. And Aaron fell upon his brother's neck, we read, and kissed him. And then Moses told Aaron about the revelation in the mount and the commission. And the wife and the two sons returned back to her people. And the two brothers hurried on down to Goshen and up to the palace and told the king about God's plans and purposes for the Hebrews. The king said, I don't know God, and I'll not let the people go. And this is when the Lord used those two men to bring ten plagues upon the Egyptians. The waters were turned to blood. Frogs came out of the rivers and streams and ponds. The dust was turned to lice. Flies came up all over the land. All the beasts that belonged to the Egyptians died. Sore boils broke out on the bodies of the Egyptian people from the heads to the feet. There was great hail in the land, locusts, darkness. It was so dark, we read, that for three days no man dared leave his home. That's what I call darkness. The, the tenth and the last plague was the death of the firstborn in every Egyptian home. Crape hung on every doorknob from the king's palace down to the most humble cottage death angel, the death angel that passed through the land. The only thing to save the Hebrews that dark night 3,400 years ago was the blood that had been sprinkled on the doorposts, the lintels of their houses. 
That's the blood that typified the blood of the Lord Jesus on Calvary 15 centuries afterward. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And that is so whether Mr. Fosdick accepted it or rejected it. I like what the modern is called, that bloody religion. That's the kind that saved me one night about midnight 50 years ago. The bloody kind. That's the kind that will save you, my friend, if you ever saved. But Moses led the Hebrews down to the Red Sea and stretched his hand across the waters and they parted and congealed, turned to ice, Exodus 15, 8, and stood like mountains on either side. An estimate of two and a half million persons passed over dry shod. They didn't even get their feet wet. You say, you believe that? If I didn't, I'd stop preaching. It's in the book. Then they went on up to the Mount of Sinai. And they spent about 12 months there. This is when Moses received those Ten Commandments written with the finger of God on two tablets of stone. Five on each stone and two and a half on either side, states Josephus, the Jewish historian. And then they passed over to Kadesh, where they selected 12 men to visit the land of Canaan. They were termed spies. And they spent 40 days over there. Came back and 10 of the spies said, there's walled cities in the land and giants. And we look as grasshoppers in their eyes and in our eyes. And when people get their eyes off God, they're not much more than grasshoppers in some respect. In fact, I would rather be a grasshopper than be some men I know. Yes, the two faithful spies said there's walled cities there and giants in the land, but we're well able to possess it. They hadn't forgotten the God that could give drink from the rock and manna from the sky. They hadn't forgotten the God that could part the sea. Those ten unfaithful spies, just think what ten unfaithful persons could do. You can put ten unfaithful people at the head of a church, and they will wreck that church. It doesn't matter who the pastor is or where he attended seminary, whether he buttons his collar in front or behind. Ten unfaithful persons at the head of a church will wreck the church. I think that's the reason we have so many wrecked churches in America today. Too often we've got the wrong people at the head of the house. You can put ten unfaithful persons at the head of a nation, they will wreck that nation. It's been proved again and again through the years. Those ten unfaithful spies caused uh, that vast multitude to turn against God and against Moses and against Aaron. And they went back into the wilderness with their hearts toward Egypt. And God looked down from the battlements of the sky and said, I swear in my wrath. And when God Almighty takes an oath, things become serious. I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. And during the next 40 years, 600,000 men's bones were bleached on the sand of the desert. Only two men above 20 years of age that came out of Egypt ever entered the land of promise, the two faithful spies. Moses died on Mount Nebo, if you remember, at the age of 120. And his minister led the young Hebrews across the Jordan. And in seven years, more or less, conquered the Canaanites and then divided the land among the 12 tribes. Nine and a half tribes settled in Canaan proper. 
with the Reubenites, the Gadites, from half the tribe of Manasseh, that sold in the land of Gilead in the Transjordanic region. And the good man died. At the age of 110, there came a line of judges, 15 in number, that ruled for 300 years, more or less. It was a theocracy. If I had time, I'd like to preach on those 15 judges. My, what a message that is. Well, the people became dissatisfied. They desired a king that they might be like other nations. This was displeasing to God. Nevertheless, he sent the prophet to anoint Saul. And Saul, the son of Kish, became the first major king of the 12 tribes. He was a great man in some respects. He fought great battles. He won great victories. But he sinned. And that's a dangerous thing for a king to do. It's a dangerous thing for a president to do. It's a dangerous thing for any man to do. He committed one sin too many. You can do that too, my friend. And listen. Are you listening? You don't get too big for the job. Saul was a big man, but he played for the Holy Ghost once too often. He crossed the deadline and died a suicide. Then Jesse's youngest son came to the throne. David reigned 40 years and six months. Seven years and six months in Hebron, the capital of the tribe of Judah, and 33 years in Jerusalem over the 12 tribes. And then Solomon reigned 40 years. And his reign was most glorious. It was he who sang the uh, 1,005 songs and wrote the 3,000 proverbs and many books of wisdom, some we don't find even in the sacred canon. It was Solomon who built, one the, who built the temple and the seven wonders of the Hebrew world. It took him seven years to complete the job. He employed 153,600 employees, 3,600 overseers. There wasn't a hammer used or nail driven. Everything was cut to fit with the temple's begun. It was made of marble, trimmed with cedar and overlaid with gold, and the glory of God filled the house. And our money cost about a hundred billion dollars. I say he was a great man. His reign was most glorious. But in his latter years, he turned from God. I've known a lot of men to do that. He turned from God, took to himself a thousand heathen women. And that's 999 more than any man needs. <clears throat> He bowed down to the idols and served them, and as far as we know, he died in that condition. It's the last picture we have of the king in the sacred writings. As a result of his sin, the king was divided about 935 B.C. The northern kingdom, the ten-tribe king, existed 200 and some years and had 19 kings. God sent the prophet after prophet. Jeroboam, the first king, reigned. Uh, 22 years. Sometimes I preach on these kings in camp meetings, but it's rather lengthy and it's a little late tonight, so I won't preach on them. Uh, perhaps I better name them since you never read the Bible, some of you people. The first king, I say, Jeroboam reigned 22 years, Nadab two years, Beashe 24, Elah two, Zimri reigned seven days and committed suicide. Omri reigned 12 years, Six years in the old capital, and six years in Samaria, the new capital. In fact, he built Samaria. Ahab, uh, the seventh king, uh, was the most wicked king, but he reigned 
uh, 22 years and dead to his sins and married Jezebel. That doesn't help even a bad man. Uh, Ahaziah reigned two years. He had no son to succeed him, so his brother Jehoram, another son of Ahab and Jezebel, became the ninth king of the northern kingdom and reigned 12 years. Jehu reigned uh, 28 years. It was he who slew Jezebel, if you remember. In fact, he slew all the house of Ahab. He sent over to Samaria and had seven of his sons killed, the heads chopped off, and brought him in baskets. My Bible says he didn't leave a man to breathe. He exterminated the Baal worship in Israel. That's what I call cleaning house. If we had two or three like that over here in Washington, they could take care of the Watergate fellas, couldn't they? <coughs> well, gee, he reigned uh, 28 years. He was the 10th king. Go on and read that story. It's really fascinating. And then Jehoahaz reigned 17 years. Jehoash, uh, 16 years. Jeroboam II, 41. Zechariah, 6 months. Shalom, 1 month. And Manahem, 10 years. Pekahiah, 2 years. Pekah, 20 years. Hoshea reigned 9 years. These are the names of the 19 kings that sat on that northern throne for more than 200 years. And God sent them prophet after prophet, warning again and again. But they wouldn't listen. They stiffened their necks. They hardened their hearts. Until God says it's enough. Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim's a cake not turned. Let him alone. And it came to pass in 724 B.C. that the Syrians besieged the capital and three years later led those tribes into captivity. And for 2,690 some years, a cloud of mystery is only the fate of those ten tribes. That's the way God deals with kings and with nations when they trample his mercy so long beneath their feet. That ought to be a warning to rulers of the nation today, but you know, warnings don't mean much anymore. We sin on and reject on and flirt on on our way to the end, and we'll all soon be there. It's just around the corner. Rehoboam was the first king of Judah. He reigned 17 years, Abijam 3 years, Asa 41, Jehoshaphat 25, Jehoram 8. Four years conjoint with his father and four years alone. He's a very wicked man. He went and married Athaliah, daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, and became so vile that God struck him with a cancer, and after two years his bowels fell from his body. You know, sin is a dangerous something, as our brother told us. It's a dangerous something. God help us uh, to be careful how we play with sin. Ahaziah reigned one year. He was killed by Jehu of Israel. Then Athaliah the queen reigned six years and was slain by Jehoiada the priest. Joash reigned 40 years, Amaziah 29, Azariah 52, Jotham 16, Ahaz 16, Hezekiah 29, Manasseh 55. And he was the most wicked of the southern kings. We read, he provoked anger of the Lord God of the Hebrews until God said, I will not forgive his sins. He died in Amon. His son reigned two years and was slain by his own servants in his own home. And... Uh, and then we read that, uh, that Josiah became king when he was eight years of age and reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He was a good man, but was slain while in battle with the Egyptian, and he was buried in Megiddo. We read that Jehoiahaz reigned three months. Jehoiakim, 11 years. Jehoiah seen three months and 10 days, and Zedekiah reigned 11 years. 
These are the names of the 19 kings and one queen that sat on the throne of Judah for 350 years. And God sent them prophet after prophet, warning again and again, but they wouldn't listen. They stiffened their necks, they hardened their hearts, until God said, it's enough. Came to pass in 606 B.C., if you remember that Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah, led the leaders of the tribes into captivity. They spent 70 years in Babylon. Read Jeremiah 25, 11. Medes and Persians conquered the Babylonians in 538 B.C. Two years later under Cyrus, 40-some thousand Jews returned to Palestine to rebuild the, the city, the temple, and the walls. The temple was finished and dedicated 20 years afterward. 516 B.C. and the walls were completed seven years after that, 445 B.C. In 168 B.C., the Syrians wrested Palestine from Egypt, twice took and sacked the city, provoked the Jews to anger, and the rose in rebellion the leadership of the Maccabees, and after two years won the independence. Rome conquered Judea in 63 B.C., and in B.C. 40, uh, Herod the Great received the title of king from the Roman Senate. In about B.C. 5, uh, there was a baby born in Bethlehem, and they called his name Jesus. We read that he waxed strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. While he was 12 years of age, he astounded the doctors of the temple. When he was, when he was nearly 30, he was baptized by John in Jordan and upon his public ministry that lasted for three years. And he went all over Galilee and Judea into Samaria and across the Jordan and preaching and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the dumb, life to the dead, even forgave sinners. That's the greatest of all miracles. But they crucified him and he died. His body was taken and placed in Joseph's tomb and his enemies sealed it. His disciples, his disciples didn't seal the tomb. It was the scribes and Pharisees that sealed it. While they went to Pilate and said that the seal, while he was yet alive, said in, in three days I'm going to rise again. We want you to, we want you to seal this tomb, lest, it, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say he's risen from the dead and then the last arrow will be worse than the first. Pilate said, you have a watch, make it as sure as you can. And they sealed it with the greatest power of earth, the Roman government. They put it under guard. The custom was to change the guard every three hours throughout the day and night. There were 16 soldiers. 16 soldiers. Four facing the east, four facing the west, four facing the north, four facing the south. And they stood with drawn swords. It wasn't that a crazy bunch. Jesus wasn't even in the tomb. Wasn't he meant to tell? Never had been there. He was down in Sheol, down in Hades. He went down to hell to taste death for every man. Heard Dr. T. T. Adams from Asbury College say, one of the greatest scriptures has been my privilege to listen to. Dr. Adams said, I believe when Jesus ascended from the middle cross down to the underworld, that he placed his foot on the neck of the devil, lifted his hand, and declared, I've come to conquer death, hell, and the grave. He then took the pen of the sky and stuck it in his own blood, wrote the Magna Carta of the world, and announced redemption for every man. 
whosoever will. Yes, Jesus went to hell, but he didn't stay there. His soul was not left in hell. Read Acts 2, 27, 30, and 31. He came up on Sunday morning and he stopped by the tomb, glanced at the Roman seal, and motioned to his bodyguard to break it. And Gabriel rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His counsel was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Jesus stepped inside the tomb, transformed, and entered his body and walked out in the presence of the world's greatest military soldiers. He spent 40 days on earth off and on, appeared to his disciples on 10 different occasions, and then from the Mount of Olives, he went to heaven, took his seat at the right hand of the Father. That's where he sits tonight, interceding for us. In the close of this age, he's coming back, and every eye shall see him. He's coming to resurrect the bodies of the righteous dead, translate living saints, and take us to be with himself in the air at the marriage supper. And nobody here can afford to miss it. You can afford to miss some things, my friend, but not this. And God grant that nobody from God's Bible school shall miss it. God bless every heart. Let's pray much for the services tomorrow. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.